You're listening to Don't Waste Water. We have it in our bylaws of our company to be thoughtful about what we do and how we do it in terms of the planet and the communities in which we work. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. We are to the atmospheric water generation category like the electric motor is to the internal combustion engine. Yes, it accomplishes the same thing at the end of the day, but how it does it is fundamentally different and sustainable. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Colin Godard as my guest. People think there is full access in the United States, but really, you only have to scratch the surface a little bit to, to find those places in the United States where this is a challenge. Colin is director at Source Global. What the state does in the short term is provide routine bottled water service delivered to many families. And that's part of our conversations with them is to say, look, this same outcome can be achieved of a separate clean drinking water supply to supplement that family's needs without all the plastic waste and corresponding greenhouse gas emissions from having to truck that water and dispose of the plastic bottles once they're done. Source aims to market the world's first renewable drinking water system, clean, safe, made entirely off-grid and available almost anywhere in the world. 44 million. That's the unbelievable number I dug out and triple-checked after discussing with Colin. In the United States, 44 million people are served with water systems that recently had Health-Based Safe Drinking Water Act violations, as the Dig Deep nonprofit reveals. On top of this, almost 15% of Americans that may have trust issues with their tap water, more than 2 million US citizens live without basic access to safe drinking water and sanitation. So what's the way forward? There's, of course, more than just one option. When the Biden administration introduces a $111 billion investment to revamp the country's water infrastructure, that should concur to solve the problem. But realistically, as strong as the reinforced tree trunk may become, it will remain tricky and almost impossible to fully reach the tip of every branch. So alternatives will come into play. The conventional alternatives are well known, such as tracked water and bottled water, which alone will surpass utility water in investment worldwide by 2034, this year in the US and already did, for instance, in Mexico. And then there might also be new types of alternatives, such as source and its water produced from ambient moisture, but that Colin insists I don't call atmospheric water generation. He'll explain why in a minute. Created by Cody Friesen in 2015 and backed by no less than Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos or Jack Ma, Source usually doesn't leave anyone indifferent in the water industry. Some are very vocal about how much they doubt this approach, while others regularly endorse the company's accomplishments. Which side will you be on? I'll let you decide after you hear Colin out. But for sure, if you have a strong opinion to share on that topic, my direct messages are widely open. Or you can reach out at Antoine at dww.show. I'm really curious about it. Then, regardless of your thoughts on the matter, let me remind you that if you like what you hear, you can help me tremendously by sharing that content around you. Please tell your friends, colleagues or LinkedIn network what you found inspiring in what Colin shares today. And if you don't like what you hear, please reach out to me and tell me what I should be doing differently or better. Come on, do it and I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, 
GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Colin. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you because I'm excited to discuss the path of source and we have a lot of topics on the plate and I'm really looking forward to diving into the core of it. But there's traditions on that microphone and that starts with a postcard and you're sending me a postcard from a rental car. So what can you tell me about the place you're at, which I would ignore by now? <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to you from my rental car in a parking lot baking under the sun in El Paso, Texas. Currently here to have meetings with local government contacts, nonprofit organizations, trying to help reach those that live on the outskirts of the community that traditional centralized water infrastructure has been unable to reach until today and will still probably never reach for the decades in the future. And this is exactly the type of scenario where the source team tries to investigate the dynamics and the concerns and see where the capability we've developed the source can be helpful to make sure that people living in those remote areas can have clean safe drinking water in their home you mentioned though those remote areas is that the first target for source today i mean i think the remote parts of not just el paso county texas but you know not in the united states but all over the planet have been the places where the water solutions and technologies that brought so many of the urban areas forward this past century have failed, right? And have been unable to reach those really at the edges of the grid, so to speak, where a disruptive technology like Source and the hydro panel has the strongest value proposition, right? And can make the biggest impact immediately. And so these are the first places that we try to understand the dynamics and the situation and understand where can a tool like a Source hydro panel be wielded and applied to create the largest impact. So you see, I was tempted to jump straight into the deep dive, but I'd like to get to know you more sure. before we, we go into the heart of it. I was reviewing your, your path a bit and you have a path that is pretty uncommon in, in the water industry, I would say, because you have a policy background. Can you tell me a bit about that first part of your career? Yeah, I would certainly say a non-traditional background for somebody in the water industry. And really it started with my parents who have careers in international development. And as a result, I was born overseas and raised overseas most of my life, living in countries such as Somalia, Bangladesh, Indonesia. I went to high school in Egypt and then came to the U.S. for college and university. And so my parents had the worldview and had a, a focus of trying to help those build the capacity to improve themselves in their own communities. And so this is what I grew, grew up understanding and was exposed to. I visited my first refugee camp before I was one years old and was trying to find my own way in this. And during my university time, I had a crazy experience, unfortunately, with the reality in the United States of gun violence and was shot in my French class, actually, at University of Virginia Tech. And that led me into a world of policy and advocacy that I did for many years, trying to, again, follow the same principle of doing things better to leave the world in a better place than you found it. And uh, made a lot of progress in, in that field, but wanted to get out of politics and try to see how can we affect change on big, important issues from a business lens and from a different technology perspective. So I entered in the renewable energy sector, was just really early in it, trying to find a place. And when I, then when I heard about a company that had started that was using the power of the sun to create drinking water, out of the air, I thought this is incredible, right? This really merges all of my life experiences into a point where I can help work on big challenges for the society 
and do it in a really clever and innovative way that's not so tied to politics and policy, which has its own set of challenges. And so I was like, this is a place I have to be working and called the company up and did my best to sell myself and was fortunate enough to join the team nearly now four years ago when we were really starting to build our business and operations in North America and now run the North American team on the business development and project development side, essentially with the task of finding the places that have water challenges that have been unaddressed and joining the conversations and understanding can what we do and our technology be helpful. You joined Zero Mass Water at the time, which must have been the, the name steal when you joined. Yes. Just give us an idea of the size of the company four years ago when you joined. So yeah, when I joined Source, it was called Zero Mass Water, which was the first name when it was commercialized in 2014 and started. And really a name that was out of the box was speaks to the ethos of the company of have no inertia and be free flowing and learn and change. But it was a hard name for people and customers and partners to remember. So ultimately, after years of growing the business and the projects, in this area, we aligned the name of the company with the name of the core technology that the company manufactures and deploys, which is the Source Hydro Panel. So now our name is Source. And also in that time where we changed the name, we also became a public benefit corporation where, for those who don't know, we have it in our bylaws of our company to be thoughtful about what we do and how we do it in terms of the planet and the communities in which we work. Right. And so it's really, I think, another aspect of this company and the leadership of the company that wants to make sure that what we have done can really help the planet and the people living on it in a lot of different ways. Sorry for the layman question. When you say public benefit corp, is it a B Corp? Yes. Certified B Corp is another way to, to talk about it. People know about it. And it requires a variety of things, which we were already largely doing. And so it just made sense to, to be officially titled as such, which I think helps people understand that while we are a for-profit company, we do have a perspective about our work and our technology and the way we carry our business to make sure we're being thoughtful about those we're working with and in the communities that we are looking to assist. I think we're starting to get an idea about Source and what it is all about, but nevertheless, what would be your elevator pitch to the company? Source is an innovative water technology that has developed a whole new way to create clean drinking water from the atmosphere using nothing but clean renewable energy. We are on a mission to make clean drinking water an unlimited and renewable resource and perfect water for every person in every place of the planet. That is essentially the elevator pitch that I think we'd give. So if I say that you do atmospheric water generation, it is restrictive. Yes. Using that term atmospheric water generation brings a lot of people back to an older set of technologies similar to essentially your dehumidifier or your air conditioner that is largely inefficiently convert vapor in the air to drinking water and also doing it in a way that's not really clean and suitable for human consumption. We create water from air in a similar manner, but the way in which we do it is truly novel and innovative which allows us to operate in a variety of environmental conditions and create a really high quality drinking water from the start. So I'd say the simple way to think about it is we are to the atmospheric water generation category like the electric motor is to the internal combustion engine. Yes, it accomplishes the same thing at the end of the day, but how it does it is fundamentally different and sustainable. You mentioned high quality drinking water on your website. It's called perfect drinking water. So I'm intrigued. What makes water perfect? We talk about perfect water for human consumption, right? The water that you need to put inside your body at the core of the base of human needs, right? The water you need to live. 
And so that's what we say when we mean perfect water. It's water that is perfect for what your body needs and for human consumption. So it is pure because you purify it. And then it's also mineralized because you have your specific special sauce, which you mix at the outlet so that it is that perfect nature. In addition to that, the way in which we create that water is entirely sustainable, right? We don't have to use electricity or burn diesel to operate our system. And it's created exactly where it's needed, right? There's not a long supply chain to get that water to the place where it's needed to be consumed. And so not just the kind of physical characteristics that you mentioned of the high quality water that the technology creates, but the manner at which it creates it is also perfect for the need of getting drinking water anywhere on the planet that it's needed. So if we take a step back, can you explain us how your hydro panel works? I get it's not the mousetrap, which is similar to an air conditioner. It doesn't need any grid, but what's the process? A good question without making you sign a piece of paper, because a lot of the core process and materials are proprietary. And that is really the innovation that the team at Arizona State University unlocked many years ago. And it's continuing to iterate on even to this day. But the concise answer is that The process is driven largely by a proprietary hygroscopic material. Hygroscopic meaning absorbs moisture and attracted to hydrogen and oxygen that absorbs the moisture from the atmosphere naturally. And then a very clever and innovative thermodynamic process and cycle that we apply to that material in order to load it with moisture and empty it of moisture to create drinking water from atmospheric vapor. And the, then the, really the systems around it to allow it to operate fully off-grid without external power and be monitored on a routine basis, daily basis, so that we can see the performance of the systems, the aspects of the water, to make sure that we and people who are using it understand the quality of the water that they're drinking and what they're drinking. Those are the three core components of how the system makes water that is really unique in the broader space of air-to-water systems that is emerging now. The difference to another technology we've covered on the microphone, which was ACFO with NAFCAR and Sinbagas, which may be what you call the traditional atmospheric water generation. At first sight, I thought it's only the off-grid element, but you made clear that it's far beyond that. It's all your technology, which is really a different twist at the same thing. Interestingly, I really missed the part, which sounds really interesting about the quality element so that people really understand what they're getting at the tap. So, How does that materialize? What do they get as values about the water they get? All right, great point. The way that our the source hydro panel is designed, it has a suite of onboard sensors that monitor all the aspects of the water generation and storage and access activities, which then is shared with end users of the system. So they can see how much water their system generated, how much water they've used, and also that the water that they're drinking is clean, that the sterilization systems and the recirculation systems on board are working and that they don't have to wait for a boil water advisory to come or hope that system wasn't sitting out in a plastic bottle in the sun, right? That provides that uncertainty about what they're drinking and putting inside their body. With the source technology and the information that we share with end users on apps and with other ways, people can know that what they're putting in their body is good and clean. If we look at the problem and the challenges you're trying to solve, if I get you right, it's whenever there's no grid or limited grid capacities, whenever you're not sure about the water quality, then the ways to solve that today is bottled water, maybe 
trucked water and you're saying you have a better alternative and that can be source hydro panels. Precisely. Where a technology like this can have the biggest impact are the places where traditional centralized infrastructure has been unable to reach, right? The places we hear about all over the United States and my colleagues hear about in all the other markets that they work on globally is where the cost per connection is too high, right? So the utility or the government won't ever have a return in the reasonable future for them to justify the capital outlay of running pipe water systems and full water systems to these locations. And as a result, right, option B is largely do nothing. And so what we're saying is there's now an option C to make sure that these locations can have a clean drinking water supply available conveniently from a tap inside their home for a tiny fraction of what they believe it would cost otherwise for a full pipe system. Now, I'm not saying we are not providing all the domestic water needs right for the home, but we are in critical supplementary component that really focuses on the very top of the pyramid of high quality water that is needed for human consumption and can be an important and a stepping stone for systems and governments to deploy to provide immediate support to those families that are fully burdened with obtaining and keeping clean their own drinking water supply quickly and become a stepping stone for them to build out a more distributed and resilient water infrastructure system into the future. So we're not saying we are the answer to the whole set of problems, but we have a very specific problem that we focus on and identify and make our impact in. If I recall right, you had been involved in Flint, Michigan, when all the events happened and you supplied the places with some of your hydro panels. I guess that's kind of the exception in the United States, but you have like an order of magnitude of the number of people who would be in a situation where they would need that plan C with the hydro panel? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think where we've seen most recently this number quantified is in a wonderful report on the subject that has been released by the nonprofit organization called Dig Deep. They're really the premier water advocacy organization within the United States focusing on domestic water challenges, which is really unique in the space. And they are an incredible organization that is able to make a massive amount of impact in the communities they work in and work with. And they've quantified the populations living that are entirely unserved or are underserved by the traditional water infrastructure solutions. And they have, I think, without having it in front of me, roughly nearly 200,000 residences across the United States where utility systems are just not going to pencil economically, right? Pipe water systems are just not going to pay back. Then another 200,000 or so where it may happen, depending on a more thorough analysis, but it could be in reachable. And then another set that are, should be reachable, right? But there are other kind of legal and technical hurdles that can overcome. And they're really great at, at overcoming them. I mean, in fact, they're doing a project here in El Paso County where they're helping connect a mobile home community that is only a quarter mile from the water, but have yet never had the connection. And so that I think has been a helpful way to kind of scope the challenge within the United States. But again, really the United States is the country that has, most people don't really think twice about their water access, right? And people think there is full access in the United States, but really you only have to scratch the surface a little bit to, to find those places in the United States where this is a challenge. And it is even more so in other countries around the world and other developing countries. And so I focus and my team focuses on the United States, which is what I know the best and can communicate with. But I know my colleagues in the company overall has a viewpoint of the same kind of challenges in other 
developing countries and other industrialized countries all around the world, where the same core problem of hard to reach with traditional infrastructure solutions, with areas with low population density, challenging topography and geography, and the local kind of water economics, right, are really challenging. So that's the objective answer without several hundred thousands of people which objectively don't have a better alternative and which would highly benefit from your solution. It just rings a bell in my mind about a conversation I had on that microphone with David Lloyd Owen about a statistic he's sharing in his book, Global Water Funding, where he brings up that 80% of people in California don't drink tap water just because they don't trust the quality of the tap. So that means it's a huge bottled water market. And if you look at the trends in the US, by 2034, bottled water is expected to surpass utility water in terms of money invested into it. So it's less volume, of course, but it's more money. So is that also something you're looking into to say there is a better alternative in terms of sustainability? You don't need to have that water bottled and then those plastic bottles running around the country. You could be producing off-grid if you don't trust the grid, and that could still be a better solution than bottled water? Absolutely. What I first detailed was the locations in the United States that are unreachable with pipe systems. What you've talked about now of the greater population of people with pipe systems that don't trust it or can't trust it, right, and supplement their full system with single-use plastic bottled water in many cases. That's the really, that's a much larger opportunity that we see where we can provide that same high quality drinking water that's provided separately and independently of the system that is of concern without all the plastic and transportation emissions around getting that plastic bottle water and bringing it to your house and disposing of the waste. All right, so that's another set of activities that we do here that is quite compelling, particularly for a state like California that has recognized a human right to clean water but also recognizes the limitations, right, of extending traditional infrastructure systems to many of these low density areas. So what the state does in the short term is provide, right, routine bottled water service delivered to many families. And that's part of our conversations with them is to say, look, this same outcome can be achieved of a separate clean drinking water supply to supplement that family's needs without all the plastic waste and corresponding greenhouse gas emissions from having to truck that water and dispose of the plastic bottles once they're done. So that is a much larger opportunity for us, not only here in the United States, but also globally. And it's also very much a focus of ours. On your website, you're bringing up a cost argument. So you're saying that your solution is a cheaper alternative compared to bottled and tracked water. So if you agree, I'd like to make a napkin a calculation with you. So really simple and to check some facts, because my own calculation yeah. seems to agree with your point, but I'd like to see if my hypothesis are right. So what is the lifespan of your hydro panels? So we are always iterating on the core technology and the hydro panels that we are making and releasing now have a 20 year lifespan. And so we've been able to increase this continually through our own R&D efforts and we'll continue to do so, right? We are not satisfied with 20 years. We will go beyond that. But right where we are today is 20 years. So if you were to take the upfront cost of a hydro panel, which currently retails at $2,000 US, but again, a price point we are also actively working on and amortize that over the 15 years and add the very basic air filter change that you need every year, you're roughly looking at a cost of roughly seven and a half cents a water bottle or roughly around 15 cents a liter on a straight marginal cost. What's the cost of my liter to your liter, right? So we are competitive with single-use plastic bottles available in retail commercial markets in this in the United States now. 
right? And then if you were to bring in, however, the other aspects of the sustainability components around the plastic waste and the transportation emissions and the gas and the fuel, et cetera, we'd be even more compelling comparison. But for the sake of this conversation, we can just purely marginal cost of water. And this will continue to come down as we continue to deploy the technology and get greater economies of scale. This will be reduced substantially and we will be, and our goal is to become by far and away the cheapest source of potable water on the planet, no matter which market we're talking about, right? And so we are well on that way and we need more partners to join us on this way to, to see that future that we also badly need, right? To follow the very similar roadmap that solar photovoltaic has followed when in early days where the cost per watt, right, was much higher and now it has gone so cheap, which is part of why that has unlocked a technology like this. Now that solar has become so cheap and ubiquitous, what can we do with it? Now we can use solar to make water. So we will follow that, continue that same cost curve as we get more projects and more partners that understand the way a tool like this can be utilized to help achieve the outcomes that they want in terms of making sure people have clean and safe water in their home. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Let me just come back to your retail price of 2000. Do you also install the panels yourself or is it something which is outsourced? We do both. We have our own installation technicians and we've trained third-party technicians to do installations depending on the nature of the project. I guess you see me coming. I'm trying to unveil your business model here to understand what are the boundaries of your deliveries? So you're in the CapEx sales of hydro panels. Sometimes you install it as well, but you don't deliver it as a service, for instance. We have both, in fact. So we have both the CapEx sales where you can purchase the systems up front for the fixed price that we mentioned, right? And then all the water that it makes essentially over its 20-year lifetime is essentially free with the very basic annual O&M we recommend. But if we're doing larger projects in one location or, or a larger set of projects and aggregated over multiple locations, we can follow the similar solar power purchase agreement model, where instead of purchasing the asset up front for a capital cost, we can enter into a contract to sell the water that the systems produce over a period of time at a fixed price per liter or per gallon, whatever we work agreement with for that location. So that avoids an upfront capital expense by that institution and it becomes more of an operating expense. So for a lot of businesses or governments who already have a kind of budget set aside for bottled water delivery, we can say, take that same amount and supply that same amount of volume of water, but without all the plastic waste, right? And, and arrive at those same outcomes in a more sustainable way for the same price, if not better. So those are the two models in which we currently are able to finance and construct projects now. So do you really divide the market that way that the commercial customers would go for the OPEX sales and the residential customers would go for the CAPEX sales? Or is it really whatever suits you the best? I would say that trend is largely accurate. The residential customers and the governments we work with, they're more suited to do grants and loans, upfront capital expenditure plans. And so we fit into that model. But for the other types of corporate entities, commercial customers, right, hospitality groups that don't have that upfront capital expense, but can fold it into an operating expense, we also have an option for them. And so between both of those, right, that's that's where we see the business headed into the future. You mentioned how you have continuous R&D and the product gets regularly better. One of the major drawbacks which have seen coming up left and right when you, you Google your solution is that it's pretty heavy. We are talking of, I can't tell in imperial units, sorry, but 150 kilograms. Is that still the case? Yeah, that's about right. So... That is also a, certainly an aspect that our team always looks at of how to balance the system in terms of its production, its cost, its weight, its size, right? All these aspects, because and to arrive at something that is commercially viable, 
that's very important, right? We could really go on one of those points, but it will cause other aspects of the technology or the solution to change. So it's really a delicate balance of all these components to put something out there that can be reachable now where the market is today in these places, right? And then continue to allow us to build off that and innovate and bring those things down. You mentioned some minutes ago that you're looking for partners to to expand and to go to the next step and go following the same route than solar panels and have this scale effect. If I'm right, you, you just closed the Series D. Is that what you intend to do? I mean, an impressive Series D, if I'm honest. And not that much interesting in the number, but we are talking of several hundred, I mean, more than $100 million. It's about what you intend to do with that. What is it unlocking for source? Yeah, that unlocks the ability to continue to build the business and grow the core technology and unlock these partnerships that are necessary to build for the future, right? So that allows us to continue to form partnerships with government institutions that have the objective of providing the service to families they can no longer reach, hospitality groups that are looking to serve high quality drinking water to their guests, but without all that plastic waste, it allows us to finance those projects. It allows us to do find more great individuals that can think for the future and think outside the box to help us form the right relationships and make the progress that we need. So it's been a great support and endorsement for where we've come. And now we know where we have to go and we're doing it every day. Talking of endorsements, do you still have Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Jack Ma in your capital? <laughs> yeah, Breakthrough Entity Ventures has been one of our core partners from the beginning. And we really value their input and the, the conversations that they've led us to and uh, perspectives they've provided us. They really are a forward-thinking organization that does really good diligence on the companies that they support. And we're really proud of that endorsement and partnership. I can imagine how one can be proud of having this kind of endorsement. You mentioned how you're competing with bottled water. So I was surprised to see that you also enter that market and you're also bottling source water. So why are you doing that? In many of the customers that we work with, particularly in the hospitality sector, they would like a more sustainable packaged water that they can offer to guests. And some of the retail partners that are approaching us, they're interested in something more sustainable, a water supply that's not extracted from the ground, that's not in a plastic bottle. So we're looking at options for us within packaging source water in various ways to enable those partners and customers to, to grow their businesses. And so it's a newer space for us. We still are very focused on manufacturing hydro panels and deploying them and delivering water per our water purchase agreement contracts. But this is a new area for us to explore together with the partners that are sophisticated in the space. I have an elephant in the room which I need to address, which is whenever you're doing your due diligence to look for whatever source does, it is fascinating to see how the word is split in two. And then I can't count how much I know on each side, but you have the ones which say, that's awesome. And your vision is incredible of going one day to be producing the cheapest water on earth and that perfect drinking water. There's a lot of arguments supporting that. And on the other hand, you have the people who hate you. I couldn't find people in between, actually, which is interesting, which means to me that you're hitting a nerve. But the people who hate you are pretty vocal. How do you react to that heat? I would say for those, I would say folks just fundamentally don't understand how the technology works and what we're trying to accomplish. I feel like there is a sense that, that the first electric utilities felt when solar photovoltaic manufacturers approached them, right? And very similar to what water utilities do when they see us, right? And these water utility professionals spend 
all their time, right? And do really good work to make sure that their systems are functioning right and what's delivered to customers at the end of the day is a good high quality product. I think they think that we are trying to do what they do and that's not the case at all. We're trying to be a useful tool in their tool belt. We wanna be a partner to help them reach more people and help them accomplish their own mission, not to replace them by any means. So I think it's just purely a lack of just an understanding of how the technology works and what we're trying to accomplish with it and the supplementary role that we're trying to play. I mean, our global water challenges are great, right? And we need new ideas and new solutions to get us into the future that we need. And so there needs to be an all hands on deck approach that that utilizes all the innovations of reuse and desalination and also tapping into new sources for drinking water like like source does with the atmosphere. So, you know, I'm not too concerned when people don't speak positively what we do. I see that as an opportunity for us to educate them about what we're really trying to accomplish and bring them in and bring them in closer so they can really understand what we're about and how we work. Let me be a bit more specific about those people, because I had one of them on that microphone in the season five with uh, with Christopher Gesson. And Christopher Gesson, who is the chief editor of Global Water Intelligence, wrote one day an article where he called source a criminal waste of money. And I actually was, I couldn't find a better word there than shocked, because it's not every day that you see this kind of strong words. And uh, I discussed that with him on that microphone, and he said, yeah, it's his editorial role to have an opinion. But if someone was to call my company a criminal waste of money, I'd be probably very pissed. So <laughs> how do you react to that? I would love to take this person to visit some of the sites with the families that we've worked with in the Navajo Nation, for example, who live far from the nearest water line and have been told that they will never see a running water supply in their home in their lifetime, and how that they've had to be forced to travel great distances to haul water from various sources that are of various quality, and people get sick as a result. And now, right, they're drinking from a tap in their home clean drinking water supply that they own and they're making themselves, right? They're not relying on externally. And telling me if that's an egregious waste of money. I think that is a beautiful use of resources to make sure that the most basic resource is being applied to those who need it most. So, and ultimately that's, you know, what I think about and that motivates me every day. People who do new things, other people look at it, don't understand it, and they speak down to it, right? This is not something new for us. This is for all new ideas and new frameworks. So it's not discouraging in any way for us, right? We keep our heads down and we focus on the impact that we know we can make and the lives that we change. And the more we can communicate that and have people realize that, I think more people understand the role that a technology like Source will play in the future. Talking of the future and the role you want to play there, what's your vision for Source? Where do you see Source in, in five or 10 years? It's a crystal ball question. Sorry, it's a difficult one, but yeah. what's your vision? I'm here in the Western United States, like many other parts of the world, where there is a growing sensitivity of sticking more straws into the ground to pull up the ever-dwindling supply of water. Of, and then the concern over all the plastic waste, right, that people are uh, creating because they're buying their drinking water in a plastic bottle. And the world that I want to see in five, 10 years is a place where now there is a ubiquitous option C for folks to not have to tap into the same depleted reservoirs and not have to spend that money on a piece of plastic that they'll use once and throw away, but be able to have clean drinking water from a tap in their house, no matter where they live, that will be theirs, that they own, that will be reliable for them, and will be a part of their more resilient water future. I think we have all the pieces we need. We know 
where the challenges are, and we're building those relationships. And I see the future being more of the same in that way. We are on the right path, and and I'm excited for the future because a capability like this and the stories that we learn really are profound, and we're excited to keep doing it. And if I look now at the business side of the same question, I don't know if your valorization for the latest Series D is public, but by my estimates, you're probably not that far from being the first unicorn in the water sector. Is it something which is barely relevant to you or is an IPO somewhere down the line something which is a target for source or do you have any plans or is it really about where the head goes, you're going to follow the road? Yeah, I think, again, my view is really on the communities that don't have access to water today and the future that I see in their lives and in their communities. And how we get funded to do that it can be a variety of ways. And that's not really of my concern. And not really our team is really a group of people with diverse backgrounds, right? It's really a key tenant of this company is to build aggressively for divergence is something that we say often and think zero mass, right? To be able to have fluidity and, and to pivot when needed. But at the same time, have a very, treasure your focus and do what you know is going to make an impact and bring us to tomorrow. And that's really what I'm focused on. Well, Colin, thanks a lot for the openness and thanks a lot for the fascinating exploration of the world of source. I'm pretty sure there's much more matter for a sequel somewhere down the line, but I think we have a thorough overview with that deep dive. So if that's fine for you, I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions. Sounds great. Thanks. It's time for the rapid fire questions. So in that last section, I'll raise short questions which aim for short answers, but you'll notice that the only one sidetracking is always me. And it starts with the first question, which is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? The most exciting project for me is our partnership with the Navajo Nation. As I've said, the Navajo Nation is an incredible community that has real challenges providing clean drinking water to the, their community members. And where a technology like ours can really have a significant impact reaching those that are largely unable to be reached with traditional water infrastructure. We have over 500 families drinking clean water in their home for the first time from our partnership. And we are so excited to continue growing that partnership and be becoming a really useful and valuable tool for the nation to support their people living all over Navajo Nation. Can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way? I feel like what we're doing at Source is novel and new and innovative and hasn't been done before. And so every day is hard to blaze a new trail. And we've learned so much every single day where we learn to fail fast, right? And pivot and think zero mass to, to redirect. And so it's hard to pinpoint one thing because like I said, every day comes with its challenges and the team that succeeds here are those people that can persevere through that adversity and think outside the box to be able to create day number two. That's a brilliant answer. Is there something you're doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years? Well, I hope sitting in a hot car baking in a parking lot in El Paso, Texas, there's not too many more days like this in my future. But this is the important work that we have to do really getting stuck into communities with these challenges and to show up, right, and be here and continue to be here when a project is implemented to, to show that we're committed over the longer term. And so this is the grind we have to do to earn the respect and earn the trust of a lot of communities who have been overlooked for too long and have been promised a lot of things that have never delivered. So this is an important aspect of what we do, but I sure hope five to 10 years from now, we'll be in a different place. What is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? I would say the larger trend to watch out for in the water sector is 
the emergence of distributed systems and mm -hmm. decentralized systems, not just with drinking water like source, but also wastewater and bulk water supply, right? Able to turn other water uses, other water sources into useful ways, right? So thinking about fit for purpose water, not every type of water has to do every type of thing. And I think that's going to be more and more of the conversation to the future. That was a fascinating discussion I had on that microphone with Aaron Tartakovsky from Epic CleanTech. So I would recommend anyone which is interested in that decentralized water fit for purpose and on-site water reuse to, to have a listen to that one. And that being said, I switch to my last rapid fire question, which is if you were a word political leader, what would be your first action to influence the fate of the words where challenges? These are easy ones, yeah? You still have your joker. You didn't use it. I still have my joker, huh? I would say, as a world leader, to solve the problems of tomorrow, we need new paradigms, new frameworks, right? The solutions that brought us to where we are today are not necessarily the ones that will bring us for tomorrow. So there has to be a willingness and openness to accept and evaluate and test new technologies and new innovations like source so that it can be understood how this tools be used and applied in the right place where it makes the biggest impact. So really, uh, yeah, I spoke too long, but that's a willingness to try things new. Is the You're the kind of word political leader I would elect. So, so that sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got one vote. Thanks for that. Would you have someone to recommend me that I should definitely invite on that same microphone as soon as possible? Oh, yes. I think the organization I mentioned, Dig Deep, their director, George McGraw, is really a leader in the water access space within the United States, right? And it's really had to break a lot of ground trying to work with marginalized and overlooked communities to find a way forward. And their organization under his leadership has really established the work that they do in a meaningful and credible way and is enabling water access to communities all around the country for the first time. And that work should be applauded and it should be understood. And it would be a great guest to have on your show in the future. Well, thanks for the recommendation. And again, Colleen, it was a great pleasure to, to go through that topic with you today. If people want to follow up with you, Having listened to all of that, where shall I redirect them the best? Best to check us out at our website at source.co. That's where you'll see all the information about the technology and highlights of our projects and partnerships all around the world. And we'd love to hear from your viewers to understand the drinking water challenges in their area and who's trying to help and who's trying to fix it and who's trying to find solutions. And how can we have a conversation and understand if what we do can be helpful? So really value that opportunity and thanks so much. So if you didn't have a paper and a pen when the website was given, like always, the link is in the show notes. So check it out. Colin, thanks a lot. And I hope to talk to you soon. Likewise, thanks so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for the, the very intriguing questions. And let's do stay in touch as we continue to grow this company and the impact. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.